You're listening to the Independent Mom Podcast, the podcast that shows you how to own your finances, reimagine your motherhood, and live a wealthy life with or without a partner. And I'm your host, Arielle Dean. All right, let's dive in. Hey, Independent Moms, welcome back to another episode. Today, I sat down with actually an old friend, but who I have not seen in a long time to catch up with. And we talked about an area of real estate that a lot of people don't think about, which is property management. But we also ended up veering and talking a lot about how Rihanna went from making lots of money, having an amazingly profitable business, and then realizing that she was super burnt out and just the importance of self-care. So I think lots of great gems all around in this episode. If you've ever thought about wanting to get into real estate and weren't sure if you wanted to buy properties or how you wanted to do it, um, property management is definitely an interesting space to go into. And we talk a little bit about that. But I also love thinking about how do you make sure that you are putting your self-care first, whether you've made your million dollars or on your way to making your million dollars, because it's so important to your livelihood. So let's jump into the episode. So today I have Rihanna Campbell. With almost 20 years of experience in real estate, Rihanna Campbell has done everything from providing mortgage loans, credit and financial counseling to wholesaling and home renovations. The majority of her career was spent as a co-owner and operator, building and growing a multi-million dollar real estate business from the ground up focusing specifically on infrastructure, operations, finance, and risk management for a suite of services, including residential and association management, construction and maintenance, and investment. In addition, she is a founding board member for the District of Columbia chapter of the National Association of Residential Property Managers, and has spent over seven years providing valuable information to local members and licensed professionals in the city. After selling her business in 2018, she started Proper Planning LLC, a consultancy assisting entrepreneurs across the world increase their profits. She is the author of The Best Kept Secret of How Property Management Can Boost Real Estate Team Profits, where she draws from her years of extensive professional and real-life experience to advise entrepreneurs to build resilient business models. Rihanna is a teacher at heart. She has developed and led workshops for a variety of organizations and presented at national, regional, and local events. She has been interviewed numerous times on internationally based podcasts, and of course, my own, and quoted in many online magazines and news articles. And she continues to advocate for the rights of small investors by testifying to government officials on topics that impact the wealth of so many families. Hi, Rihanna. Thank you for joining the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me, Ariel. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I know it's been it's been a long time since <laughs> we have talked and started this journey because I have known you for, I don't know, years from before. A long so time. I know. So I'm excited to to hear and talk about your story because you definitely have had quite a journey. And I wanted you to take us back a little bit to when you first sort of started making some moves, started really working on your business and what some of that that story looks like, how you got to where you are right now. Sure. So just to, I guess, kind of start off, I'm in the real estate industry. I've been in real estate for almost 20 years. And I started building a real estate business back in 2008. And it grew really, really fast. And actually, it was very successful. And it was something I really enjoyed doing. It really stretched me as a person. um, And it offered me something very different. Entrepreneurship is so different from the nine to five where you have one responsibility, like having being an entrepreneur means you wear so many different hats at the same time. And you have to learn skills that you aren't Um, used to that might be out of your comfort zone that you're probably not very good at, but you have to do it because somebody has to get it done. So that was such an experience for me, but it also was very challenging in a way that it meant that I just had a lot of stress involved with managing a business that was thriving, managing a lot of people that came along with that business. You know, at one point I had 25 employees and you know, there was 700 clients and, you know, you name it, there was just so much happening, which was 
again, you always want that success when you start business. You always want that level mm-hmm. of success, but it was to my own detriment. My health started to deteriorate and I ended up selling that business in 2018. So after about 10 years, I decided to sell and just really take a hard look at my life and figure out what I wanted to do next. So, so yeah, what that was kind you... of, uh, yeah, yeah, say it. yeah, yeah, that was just, that was kind of my journey. What made you decide to get into real estate in the first place? Like, how did you decide, oh, this is the thing that I want to do or to leave to your point, the more typical W2 type of job? Yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like I've always been interested in real estate. I remember being eight years old and my mom purchased a four unit building in DC with her brother. Mm -hmm. And I would be there on site with her as they renovated the units. And and my job was to take the heat gun and peel the old paint off of the wooden doors. And I I mean, like, it was so gratifying to like, take a scraper and see like paint bubble (laughs) up and like, literally like scraping that old paint off. So I don't know if that gave me like the taste that just never left my mouth. It was just one of those experiences where I was just like, I like this. Like I like seeing end results. Like I like going from this is really a disaster to something that was really amazing. I guess the concept of that renovation or building equity or having something of value that was long lasting really appealed to me. And so it was something that never left my mind. And it was something that I decided to get into probably at the worst times in real estate in 2008 when the market was crashed, but- Or the best time. (laughs) Right, exactly. It turned out to be a really good time. Um, But yeah, that was kind of that that place where I was like, I really think I need to get more education in real estate. Yeah, I mean- Real estate, especially if you buy in DC, right? I think it's it's a great investment because things appreciate so quickly. And so right. I am fascinated by you said your business grew really fast. What were what were you doing in your mind? Do you think that was really helping to to build that or to spur that success on? What what really contributed to that? Was it just the market and the time, or was there something that you feel like you were doing at that point intentionally? I, so I feel like it was a combination of different things. It was you know, just really trying to deliver good service to people. And, um, you know, I didn't expect it to blow up. Let's start there. Like (laughs) I was expect, I was really expecting this to just be a side hustle thing where I was just like, oh, if I can make a couple hundred dollars a month, I would be good. And I remember getting, you know, that first check from a client and I was just like, I made, you know, like $200 and that's amazing. And then it just, and then it just took off and it was, it was challenging because I was flying by the seat of my pants. The majority (laughs) of the time, I just didn't know what I was doing, but I just took it in stride. Every day was different. Every day was a new challenge. Every day I just had to solve problems. And I didn't realize it until after I sold kind of looking back that I was a really great problem solver. Mm. And maybe that's why it went really well. Like I was good at just solving those daily challenges. Um, And every time a new problem arose, I'd solve a new problem. And I got really good at it to the point where I could solve a lot of problems really quickly. So maybe that was, you know, the reason that (laughs) it was so good. But, you know, I I remember my mom always joking. She was just like, yeah, you were always great at puzzles. You know, I'd sit down in a corner and play (laughs) with a puzzle. Um, And, you know, I just, I was good at just taking things that were a mess and making it into mm-hmm. something that was beautiful. And and for whatever reason, I didn't recognize at the time that that was actually a superpower that I had, which is taking things that were very disorganized and actually streamlining and making things really efficient and functional. And that really turned out to be a, a really great gift to have. Yeah, that's awesome. I love I love the way you two figured out that that was a gift because it's very common. I know I feel like I struggled all the time being like, I mean, is that a gift (laughs) that I can, (laughs) that when there's problems, I can get things, but I think it is, right? I think even in the workplace, you start to realize like, oh, this stresses you guys out and you can't figure this out, but I get, I like the challenge of it. That's actually what helps to get me excited about figuring out how to make things work together or come up with a better way to do things, a more effective way to do things. So that's super interesting. You did mention though, that you got to a point of where your health was was impacted. And so talk to me a little bit about sort of after the sale, what, what that journey was like and some of what you were going through. 
Yeah. So I, you know, after I sold, I think one of the the decisions that I made was to live very intentionally and be very thoughtful about the time. And I realized the value of time and it felt very different to me afterwards. And, I, and you know, I think when I had the business, it was all about hustling and tr- and grinding and trying to make more money. And, you know, again, like that business was very successful and we were making millions of dollars a year, but I felt terrible. <laughs> like mm. I was barely functioning. I was really just having a hard time and my health, like I landed in the hospital at one point in time in the emergency room <clears throat> and I, I had a health scare and, and, and then I had to really start questioning what was my purpose. But you know, one of the biggest proponents to me making that decision was I got pregnant with my second child after 20 years. And, <laughs> you know, you you realize during your pregnancy that having high levels of stress is not good, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I was told by every doctor, like your stress level is way too high. You need wow. to get this under control. And it's something that, you know, you're producing certain chemicals in your body and it it gets absorbed by your child, right? Mm -hmm. Internally. And so it made me recognize how important it was to do a better job of taking care of myself. So after I sold and I had the time and energy to really think about the life that I wanted to live, I decided that my health was the most important aspect of things. And that I could find a way to use the gift that I had to not let it deteriorate my health, that I could figure out how I could be wealthy financially and also wealthy in my health um, as well so that I can enjoy not just, you know, the money, but my mm-hmm. family and my time and, you know, like what use is money if you can't go on vacation and enjoy it? That's what right. use is money if you can't take care of your family or spend time with your family? Like. I didn't, you know, I had a day and a moment and I I always highlight this when I speak. I had a moment where my daughter was having a complete meltdown and I decided, okay, let me just clear my schedule and I'll take her to the park. And I ended up, you know, taking her, we had a little picnic by this Creek that's, you know, near my house. And and we just sat and we relaxed and, um, and I realized, wow, this is the freedom that everybody wants when they become an entrepreneur. But I mean, how many people can actually recognize that they could just clear their schedule that day of and just be mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, I'm just clearing my schedule today because <laughs> my daughter's having a meltdown. Like, you know, that's something that I think we work towards as entrepreneurs. And then we just don't actually get because we don't know how to make that happen. Um, mm-hmm. And so I had to really recognize that as a moment where I'm like, yeah, and this is the life that I should have available to me. Like I should be able to at any point, at any point in time, say, you know what? I'm not meeting with you today. I've got to reschedule our meeting and we're going to push it to another day because I'm in charge of my time. And my time is my, my important time with my daughter, who's, you know, obviously the most important, one of the most important people in my life. So that is so huge. It's so important. And I love that you made the distinction. I talk a lot about this podcast really being about creating a wealthy life because I do think it is very easy, whether you're an entrepreneur or in a corporate career, right? It's very easy to be like, well, I just want to accumulate wealth, accumulate wealth. And it's like, well, what was it all for? If the whole point was to be able to relax more, go on vacations, have those things, how do you actually build a life that feels like a wealthy life without just sort of getting on the hustle and grind of trying to accumulate money, right? Accumulate wealth. But what were some of those intentional shifts that you made? And maybe it was in terms of work, but how did you start to then adjust your lifestyle and what you were doing to accommodate that? Yeah. One of the biggest things I learned over the pandemic was how important self-care was. And that comes in so many different ways, right? Self-care is quiet time so I can reflect and be alone. Quiet time was you know, getting a massage, going to a massage therapist and getting a massage, quiet time or or self-care was really just figuring out what my body needed, what my mind needed, what my spirit needed in order to be the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. And then once I recognized how important that was, then I started introducing new things into what I had created, which is a self-care routine for myself. And I I realized that 
every time I introduce something new, I'm like, oh, okay, this gives me a different feeling. Some things excited me, made me energized, and some things relaxed me. Some things calmed my spirit. Some things brought me more in touch with myself. And I needed all of those things. And so, you know, I I tried to become more thoughtful about just carving out time for myself. And I never did that before. You know, when you have a business, you tend to put your clients first because they're paying you. And when I had the opportunity to really take care of myself, because I didn't have to take care of, you know, outside of my family, I didn't have to take care of 700, 800 clients. <laughs> I, I got really detailed with what that looked like. Um, mm. So I added in more routines in my day, in my week, in my year of different activities, different things that I would do in order to make sure that I was doing a good job of taking care of myself. Because no one else is going to take care of you except you, right? Yeah, so you have yeah. to be able to do it. So yeah, so that was one of the things that I thought was really important. It's it's super interesting because there's a lot of talk right now about financial freedom and about quitting your job. And I think the part that resonates so much with to me with what you're saying is because one, I lived at seeing my dad's sort of struggle as an entrepreneur, but that is oftentimes the fear that some of us have about stepping into entrepreneurship is that it feels like, oh yeah, all this freedom, but people often get sucked up by it, right? Because you have clients and you feel like it's all on your shoulders and you have to create all of these solutions, right? You have to be the problem solver in a lot of those ways. And so I think just being really intentional to your point around whether you are the entrepreneur or you're not, you have to start in every aspect being really deliberate about what are those boundaries? What are those self-care routines? How do you make yourself feel alive <laughs> in whatever in whatever space you're in and not wait for this moment of, oh, when I'm free and I have my own business, right? Or, or when I get to financial freedom, then I can do these things because you might just end up in the very same cycle or very same sort of setup that you've been in. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I heard this. First of all, entrepreneurship is not for everyone. <laughs> it is very challenging and does require a lot more effort and energy, especially at the beginning when you're trying to get it started. There's just things that you need to do. Having said that, it's not hard. It's just different. Um, hmm. When you start a job, you are given all the tools and resources that you need to do that job well, because your boss wants to set you up for success. Majority of the time, sometimes it's not the case. Sometimes <laughs> you just fair. have to figure it out. But the idea is in order for things to get completed, I need to give you the tools and resources you need in order to complete it. When it comes to entrepreneurship, we were never given those tools. Yeah. And so we have to learn them. And, and, and what we do is we turn to the resources that we have access to, which is usually online resources, right? <laughs> we Google it, we go to social media, like we try to find the answers. And often what we fall into is we find a guru who seems to know more than us and mm -hmm. we pay for their services. And then we end up still learning not that much and it doesn't get us anywhere. <laughs> so what I found is that it's not challenging. It just needs to be done and it needs to be done consistently over a period of time. Mm -hmm. Very, very similar to if you were trying to lose weight, right? Yeah. A lot of people diet because that's what everyone talks about. But dieting is not the solution to the problem that you have, even though people believe that dieting is. People mm -hmm. think, oh, if I do this thing or if I do that thing, if I make these changes, if I go plant-based or gluten-free or whatever, then I'm going to lose weight. But that's actually not true. There are solutions to the problem and they're actually really simple. Like <laughs> what if you decided that you'd eat a salad every day? Would you lose weight? more than likely, right? right. <laughs> I mean, it's not that hard. It just requires consistency over time. Yeah. And a lot of people find it challenging to do the same thing every day, right? Because that it's almost hmm. robotic to a certain point, right? You know, people like variety in foods. They tempt you with all types of advertisements and you <laughs> want to check out the latest restaurant and you want to try the new cocktail and they, and it's always about new and new and living is this. But honestly, the person who does the same thing day in and day out, and they're consistently doing it, 
are the ones that are seeing the results. Yeah. So that can be very different, right? Yeah. And yeah. The, 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 when, you, when you read about some of these entrepreneurs, they're weird in that way. And you kind of hear mm-hmm. some of that in the stories that they tell. They're risk takers, but they're willing to do the hard work over a very long period of time without getting positive results. Um, But eventually it does get positive, but you just don't know how long that road is. That road could be five years. It could be 10 years before you really start to see the fruits of of that labor. And most people aren't willing to wait that long because who can afford that? <laughs> it's af- true. <laughs> I mean, who can afford to wait that long? So that's why, you know, it's really challenging to be an entrepreneur. So you have to find out how to do both at the same time, right? Have that nine to five that can pay you that paycheck, but also make sure that you dedicate enough brain power to do the thing that you really love doing. Mm-hmm. And even if it takes you 10 years, that eventually the fruits of those labor will come into fruition. So yeah. Um, no, it's interesting. I have this debate a lot with my my sisters because I argue similarly that it's a muscle, right? So I in my most of my career I worked in innovation. And one of the things that we always say is all kids are born very innovative, but you have to continue to strengthen that muscle. And I think it's very similarly in some ways with entrepreneurship or in in a lot of ways, I think what you described earlier, which is this sort of dogged ability to go after something and problem solve and and keep keep looking for solutions and keep going after something, even if it doesn't seem like it's going to reward you right away. There's a, a muscle you have to build that you have to continually shift your brain. But, you know, it's like a a dog that lives in the wild versus a dog in the house. If you if you give a dog food every day in a dish at a certain time, they're never going to know how to go outside and hunt for food, right? Even though it's right. probably innate in their nature. And so I think lots of times about how do we balance strengthening that entrepreneurial muscle while still, to your point, like not starving, right? I do not want to be a starving artist or entrepreneur living in a garage. And so I think it is this interesting tension point because I often think about, you know, even for us, like a lot of cultures, entrepreneurship is the norm. Like when people want to do something, they start a business, they go to the market, they right? like it's a very natural way to live, but we have just been trained and acculturated in a slightly different way. And so we just don't always have that muscle. And so it's interesting. I never know if it's like innate to your point around like it's not for everyone or whether it is something that with the right amount of environment and training that you can actually strengthen that muscle to be as effective in it as well. Yeah. I, I think one of the challenges, and I tell people this all the time too, is you know, our jobs want 100% of our energy and our effort. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to dedicate any other energy into something for ourselves. Um, And we have to push through that pain. And that can be very painful, right? Uh You know, when you've worked all day, and you've used up all your brain power at work, then how hard is it for you to come home and actually just not relax Mm -hmm. (laughs) and actually Mm -hmm. use that additional whatever 5% battery life that you have left on something that's really important? That's hard. It is. And it's painful. And so it's one of those steps that you have to take and you have to be very motivated, self-motivated to be able to do it. And again, it lacks results to some extent, right? Mm -hmm. So- you know, there's, you're not going to see anything from your activities on a day-to-day basis, but you will, I mean, it's incremental, just like, again, just like you mentioned, like losing weight or, or exercising, or like, if you were to go to the gym and you want to build muscle, you're not going to see what's happening inside. You're not going to see the changes that are being made, but it's going to take time. And eventually a year or two later, yeah, you're going to start to notice Mm -hmm. that something's happening. But in the meantime, you're not. In the meantime, you're you're not seeing the effects of the the effort that you're making. And that can really be disheartening and hard yeah. to struggle through. And that's why a lot of people give up before they need to. They quit. Yeah. You know, it's there's actually a term for it. It's like cycle of quitting. Like right before things actually get good, you quit because mm-hmm. you're not seeing the benefits of all the effort that you're making. 
and everybody everybody goes through it like i went yeah, through it sure too. i'm like when am like i'm am i doing the right things like what is happening <laughs> yes. it, it really took like my community for them to come and say you're doing the right things and i was like okay i'll just keep going even yeah. though it doesn't seem like it's working like i've been at this for like 3 4 years mm -hmm. like what what is supposed to happen like what is <laughs> happening? um you know, we're, we're so trained to get rich, right? Yeah. We're so trained to, you know, if I become an entrepreneur, I'm going to get rich and it's just going to happen for me. <laughs> uh, and, and it doesn't, and it doesn't. Yeah. And, you know, getting rich is, is somebody going to pay me for what I'm trying to do? That's like a reward. That's something to celebrate. And we don't celebrate that. It's like, yeah, unless it's yeah. a $100,000 check, we're not celebrating. It's so true. Like those small things. So, yeah. Like celebrating yeah. that, you know, the value, the impact that you're making along the way. Right. And I think yeah. even just, you know, I spent a lot of <laughs> this last few years to your point around how do you, how do you figure out like, what's the thing that I really am purposed and want to do? So that even if it's not having that immediate financial response, it's fueling, it's feeding this other thing potentially, right? The one I feel like there's impact and purpose and that's why I'm continuing to go after it. And I think it's very easy. I know I feel like I toiled with so many different ideas and side hustles over the years and a lot of them were driven by what can I do that's going to make money quickly, right? Or what could I do that leverages right. my experience and will make a lot of money as opposed to what's the thing that I feel like God is really calling me to do or if we're really aligned to do. And when I when I know that's what I'm doing, I'm not as concerned about what that sort of immediate, you know, financial implication might be. Granted, I'm not fully, <laughs> fully dependent yeah. on it, right? When you're fully dependent on that income, it's a whole different story. But I think that's that's an interesting piece of it too. Yeah, I think it also helps with the right people in your life, right? If everybody around around you is hustling for that next dollar, then mm. they're not going to encourage you to do something beyond that because they haven't That's experienced anything beyond that. I had people in my life that were encouraging me to push through the pain because they had pushed through the pain and found success. Um, and so those are the people that were helpful in having these types of conversations with. But the person who's struggling just like you is not going to be helpful. <laughs> right. And so it matters like who, uh, and you hear this all the time, like your circle, like yeah. who you surround yourself with matters. Like, and you don't really know why, but these are the reasons why. Like there's no way that you can become successful without successful people in your life mm -hmm. because you just, you, because success is hard. It's a hard road to, to be on. And only people who've been down that road could actually encourage you to keep going, despite yeah. the fact that you're literally in the dark mm -hmm. <laughs> with everything, mm -hmm. right? You are driving down the road with no lights on. And <laughs> somebody on the other side has to be able to tell you, keep going, you're on the right path. Yeah. Otherwise, the person who's right beside you can't help you. They don't know where they're going either. That's so okay. they can only tell you what they're doing every day. So yeah, so that, that's, that's something that's important. So I don't know, to, to add to the theme of wealth, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the value of the relationships that you have are immeasurable. Mm -hmm. And that is something that adds so much to your life that when you, when you think about long-term wealth and the things that really matter, that mm -hmm. matters a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally, I totally agree. I do want to switch gears a little bit because I want to talk a little bit about property management and real estate because I think, I know we talked a little bit about this before the interview, but it's not necessarily, property management isn't necessarily the way that people think about getting into real estate, but that definitely was a lot of what led to your success. And so I'd love if you could just talk a little bit about, you know, what that is and why you think that is such an interesting avenue for people to pursue within the real estate space. Right. So let me start by saying I wrote a book and it's called The Best Kept Secret of How Property Management Can Boost Real Estate Team Profits. And one of the reasons that I wrote this book was because property management is undervalued. But it has been for a long time, like the redheaded stepchild of real estate. When people think real estate, they automatically assume that you're an agent. 
And that's usually the first path that people choose when they want to get into real estate. Almost everyone who watches HGTV <laughs> and thinks to themselves, I want to do real estate. The first thing they do is they, they want to get their real estate license because that's the only thing that they know because that's what the majority of people are doing, right? Yeah. So when you think about the number of real estate agents that are out there, the majority of them are not actually making much money because- <laughs> They, they don't realize that their skill set doesn't match with that with that role. And there's so many other types of roles that you can choose in real estate. And property management is one. And it's one that I think is has been for a really long time, just not well thought of. And, you know, what I've seen more recently is people who decide to pursue the avenue of real estate are making, you know, upwards of 30% profits. And that's after getting paid a salary. So we're talking about you can get paid and plus keep a third of what you bring in. And that's, I mean, that's very significant. And, you know, I, again, like when I think about property management, people just think it's really hard, but with technology and the advances that have happened, especially coming out of COVID, it's not as hard as it used to be. It's Mm -hmm. actually fairly simple and straightforward. If you can do real estate sales, you could do property management as well. It just means that you just have to have the right resources and tools to be able to support you in doing a lot of the heavy lifting. You know, most people don't want to take calls at 3 a.m. Well, now there's a person who does that. You just pay them a fee for it, right? It's like Mm -hmm. you can outsource so much of it and, and, and there's so much of it that you don't have to worry about anymore because somebody's found a solution for it. Mm. And so thinking about that will really bring value. And which is why, you know, again, I wrote the book, the best kept secret in real estate, right? The best kept secret is property management. So talk to me a little bit about, I mean, I've had a little bit of experience with property management, but for anyone who may not understand exactly how, how is a property manager making money? And then to your point, you know, being able to outsource some of these things, how is that not then cutting into all of the profit that they're able to make? Right. So, so property management functioning functionally is let's just say you own a home and you're planning to move out of that home, but you don't want to sell it. Um, And you call me the property manager and I can manage it for you. I can find a tenant to live in that home who is going to pay a rent Um, And as the property manager, I'm going to collect that rent and charge you a fee for managing the property. That's fundamentally, that's pretty much how it goes. In addition to that, if the tenant who's living in the home has a problem, I'm the person who's solving that problem. So let's just say, you know, their washing machine broke. Well, they're going to call me and say, hey, the washing machine broke, and I'm going to call someone to go out there and fix the washing machine. So that's the role as a property manager to some extent Mm -hmm. um, in a very simplistic way. So I'm making my money. And actually nowadays I can make money in multiple ways. I can make money by charging you a management fee, but there's additional fees that I can charge for the work that I do. So let's just say, for example, you want me to go and check to make sure that they're taking care of the property well, and I have to inspect the property and make sure everything looks good on the inside. Well, I can charge you a fee for that. You know, there's other things that I could charge a fee for. I can charge the tenant's fees. So let's just say the tenant decides, you know what? I'm moving out of town and I can't live here anymore. I need to break my lease. Well, I can charge a fee for them breaking their lease because now I have to find another tenant Mm -hmm. to live in that property. And so there's ways to, there's so many different ways to make money in property management. And, And so if you're smart and you know what the industry is charging, Um, And what's standard, then you'll charge those fees and you'll be able to make a profit, even if you outsource a lot of the responsibilities to other people. Mm -hmm. Now, what I find is and why a lot of people come to me is they don't know what the standard is because they don't do the research. (laughs) They don't know that they can charge for things because as far as they're concerned, they're still doing things the way that things used to be done 10 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Which is I'll just charge you a management fee and then they collect $100 and then they spend 150. Well, yeah, (laughs) you, you can't make any money on that. And so you have to know where the industry is and you have to be tapped into how everybody else is figured out how to make money so you can make money in the business as well. 
And is it then it sounds like in some ways it is a little bit of a volume play, right? So for example, when you're talking about even with your business is the idea like maybe you're not making as much on a per client basis, right? But once you have enough clients and there's enough fees and people coming in and out of the property, that's when you start to to accumulate a little bit more income. Is that roughly right? Or how would you think about it? Um, not necessarily. I mean, you should be profitable on each client, right? So mm-hmm. each client should be profitable. Now, there is some infrastructure you need. So let's just say, for example, you need a property management software to make sure that you are maintaining accurate records. Mm-hmm. Now that software is going to cost you money. So there's some overhead expenses that you have. So there's a threshold at which you probably need to have a certain number of clients in order to make sure you're meeting meeting those expenses. But after that, everything after that should be profitable. So you just kind of have to, it's it's a numbers game for the right. most part. You just have to figure out what are the least number of resources and services that I need to function as a company And then how many clients do I need to turn the profit that I need? Now, if you're managing one or two properties and you have, you know, an infrastructure that's costing you say 50 properties, then yeah, that's not going to work out. Um, But there's a math equation to it, right? So you just have to figure out what's the math equation and what does that look like? And it's not, you know, it, it, once you put it down on paper, it makes sense, but you have to be thoughtful about it. And, And any business that you build whether you're baking cupcakes or whatever, right? You have to be able to say, this is how much the ingredients are. This is how much time I'm investing. And this is how much I'm going to charge. Now, if the amount of ingredients, the cost of you doing the work and the time that you take to actually put it together and the amount that you sell it for is not going to compensate you appropriately, then you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, you know, I can get cupcakes from Giant for like $5. So then what's the point of paying you $25 um, for those cupcakes? And so there has to be some value that you're delivering to make it worthwhile. Like custom cupcakes. I mean, you see those big cupcake towers now. Like people have thought of ways that they could really deliver a value and not just make it about the cupcakes themselves because Mm -hmm. you can get cupcakes from everywhere. So what is the value that allows you to charge the prices that you're going to charge for? And then really figuring out how you can maximize on that value financially. Yeah, it's fascinating because I've I've already got my gears going trying to figure out like how how does somebody you know, really sort of make, I mean, if I think about times in the past where I've had property managers, I'm like, I'm sure they didn't have to do very much at all. So they're just raking in those fees every month from having to do very little. But I'm also curious, is there anything that you have to be certified? Do you have to pass anything to become a property manager? Or can you just decide, hey, I'm going to start a property management business and, and this is what I am? Yeah, it's still real estate. So you probably still need to look into what's required in your jurisdictions. So every jurisdiction is different. So like, as an example, DC, you're required to have a license, either you can have a salesperson license, or you can have a property management license. In Virginia, you have to be a licensed salesperson. In Maryland, you do not have to have a license. But in Tacoma Park, you do have to have a license. So there's a smaller, you know, there's jurisdictions that require different things that Mm. you need to have in order to be a property manager. So most of that you can look up online. I mean, you could literally Google like license, real estate license and read on their website, like what licenses are required to do with types of businesses. And I would imagine there's probably been a big surge with Airbnb or short-term rental and doing property management. Is that something that falls into that bucket as well? Or is that a slightly different beast, <laughs> just given the yeah, nature I of mean, what's required. There's so many different types of property management. There's residential, there's commercial, there's industrial, there's also, you know, under residential, there's short-term rentals, there's long-term rentals, there's vacation rentals, there's corporate yeah. rentals. So all of that falls within property management. So it's all pretty much this, like it's under that same umbrella, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but each little specialty has its own little nuances. So you do have to learn about those little nuances in order to be successful at it. Why should someone, to your point earlier, why should someone consider property management versus maybe real estate or becoming an agent? I'm assuming sort of the comparison you're making. 
Yeah. So I, I'm even I, buying I, property. Is it, would you say yeah. any real estate or <laughs> I, so I love real estate. I, I don't think it should be either, or I think, mm. I think it should be all and right. I'm very much about, I tell people to build a resilient business model, right? Mm. When I think about property management, that's your, that's your paycheck. That's your W2 income, right? Mm. That's the money that's going to keep coming in consistently week after week, month after month. When I think sales, I think that that's more like icing on the cake. Like every yeah. time you sale, you get that boost of adrenaline, you get that boost of cash flow. But it's not as predictable because the market goes up and the market goes down. And when that happens, your income might dry up. And no matter what, you can turn to that paycheck to make sure that you get paid. And so you want to have all of those things working together to build a successful business, mm -hmm. uh, whether you're flipping properties, wholesaling properties, whether you're investing in properties, all of those, like they always tell you, right, have multiple streams of income. You can have a ton of different streams of income coming in for real estate. And so yeah. I'm very much an all and type of person, like do it all. Like if you mm -hmm. can <laughs> If you can do it all, like some people like to stay focused and do one thing, but, you know, have things in place so that if one thing is not working out, you have that income coming from another thing that's going to help. Um, and so having different things working at the same time is, is better than focusing on one thing and only having that one source of income. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you equated it to almost like the W2 version of it. Cause you could see how, especially right now with markets and interest rates, people are probably a little gun shy to purchase property, but there's an interesting way to think about like, how could you potentially, if you have property, how could you start to look into things like property management until you get back to a place where you want to buy more properties or buy something else? So I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so many options out there and available and knowledge is power, right? That's, you know, like just, you'd never know what you can do until you talk to people and find mm -hmm. out what other people are doing. I think we live in a society where talking about money is very, especially when you're poor, it's shunned on. <laughs> people talk about money all day, every day. That's right. Um, and so it's very important for you to just get comfortable asking people questions on how they're making their money mm -hmm. uh, because you'll be surprised that people who brag about making money are probably not making as much as you think they are. The people <laughs> who are making money are often willing to share how they've made their money and what they think that will help you and the information, the resources that they use in order to really better understand the things that they did. So yeah, that's great. That's a really important piece, right? Like just because people are bragging doesn't actually mean they're making that much money <laughs> in reality. Right. Be, be much more discerning about that. The one piece I wanted to talk about before we switch to the four fast questions is just thinking about motherhood. I know you had one kid and then you said sort of 20 years later. And so talk to me a little bit about either how motherhood influenced some of your journey and then what you're thinking about now as you think about your kids and setting them up for, for their future financially. Right. Oh my goodness. That could be a whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so my oldest is going to be 26 this year. My middle child, my second is going to be six this year. And my, my third, he is just turned four a couple oh, months. Wow. So, so, you know, it's very different for me being a mother mm -hmm. in a place where I am right now, you know, for my oldest, I'm so much more of a guidance advisor um, mm -hmm. role. My, my role as mother has kind of shifted and changed as she's gotten older. And with my two younger ones, I've learned so much over the last many, many years of personally, I've grown. Mm -hmm. And so what you never want to do is, you know, create the same traumas for your child as you went through for yourself. Right. So yeah. it's like, but the only way to do that is to grow out of those traumas. And so I, I spend a lot of time working on me because I know that if I show up as the best version of myself, then I'm the best example that they have to being the best versions of themselves. But beyond that, how can I make sure that I put them in environments where they can be the best versions of themselves all the time? Mm. So I've been spending a lot of time homeschooling or oh, wow. looking into homeschooling, looking for alternative school options, and really just trying to find ways to ensure that their education will adapt to them versus them having to adapt to their education. Mm. I, you know, having... <clears throat> 
grown up in a really good public school system, I know that I fit in. That doesn't mean that every child fits the mold. I got a lot out of my public school education. But again, you know, there's I think that there's a lot that comes out of public school education that's not necessarily educational and helpful mm-hmm. long term in life. I I know for a fact that I did things to memorize so I could get a good grade on the test and all that information has now left my brain. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. like it's not going to help me long term. And so how can I really enable my children to have the knowledge that is going to take them further faster in life mm. now earlier on versus waiting until after they've graduated and gotten their first job or decided that they want to, you know, go into entrepreneurship later on? Like, how can I instill certain things in them now? Well, I mean, really, they just have to get used to what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. Like, can they watch me and see what I'm doing and understand what I'm doing? And eventually something's going to click and they're going to pick up on different things. And so, but they're not going to be able to do that if they're in school nine hours a day. Um, So really just being really thoughtful about education is something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. And I'm really trying to find a solution where I can allow them to pick up and learn and grow in a very different way. Hmm. Uh, You know, ideally, and I've, I've joined this program, it's called world schooling. Ideally, Hmm. I'd love to have them learn in different places in the world, right? Like, yeah, Don't learn slavery from a book. Go to Ghana and actually learn about what the slaves had to go through. Mm -hmm, Like that mm -hmm. is an experience, not just book education, not just being book smart, but getting from an experiential way is something that I really want to start instilling in them at this age. And that's something that I'm, you know, I'm exploring and trying to figure out and really starting to be very mindful of. So Wow. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Cause that's, that's huge. I think, you know, to your point, a lot of our education system was built based on factories, right? Based on the industrial revolution. And so as we think about changing that narrative, changing the trajectory, how do we have to start thinking about how we teach our kids, right? And what they're learning, I think in the same way. So love that. That's super, super interesting. I'm going to jump into our independent mom for fast questions. And so just the first thing that comes to your mind, quick one or two word answers. What's one tip or resource the listeners can use right now to get started on their money or property management journey? Podcasts. I love podcasts. Mm. I just, I, you know, so many people, I mean, obviously we're on a podcast, but so <laughs> many people turn to podcasts for educational purposes. There's just so much great content out there, but the idea behind podcasts is you're learning from other people's experiences. And so, uh-huh. um, you know, it's such a great resource to be able to tap into a world of knowledge on maybe one or two different apps. Right. Yeah. And, and find anything that you need and be able to listen to someone's experience from them personally, mm-hmm. which is very different than reading an article online, right? It's, it's just a very different way of absorbing information is listening to someone's personal experience. Totally, totally agree. What has been the biggest influence in your journey to creating a wealthy life? The biggest influence I would have to say is, gosh, should I go back to really being thoughtful and intentional about my self-care? I feel like that has been a huge Mm -hmm. shift. And once I really started focusing on myself, everything else kind of played out in the way that it needed to. It's a real real reprioritization of the things that are important. And Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes we grow up believing that other people are more important than us. And we look for external validation and, you know, we love others the way that we want to be loved and we don't love ourselves in that type of way. And so shifting that dynamic really helps to put a lot of things in perspective. And, and, and then you get tuned into what wealth really means. I think we've been conditioned to believe that money matters and Mm. money is not what matters. There are things that we want to get with money. So what does that like and how much does that cost? And then once we've gotten that into perspective, then we can figure out how much, you know, what, what a wealthy life would look like Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. what we need to incorporate in order for that to be the case. 
hundred percent, hundred percent agree. What do you want other moms like you to know? I want moms to know you can be both. Mm. You can be, you can be a mom and also be an entrepreneur. You can be a mom and you can work. You can be a mom and you can take care of yourself. You can like, you yeah. can, you can do those things. I think, you know, sometimes moms are martyrs, right? Like we want to self-sacrifice in order to give our kids like certain things. But honestly, you know, like they say on the airplane, right? Put the put the oxygen mask on first and then yep, put it on yep. the child. Like you have to take care of yourself. So it starts with taking care of you first. And then after that, then you can do a really amazing job of taking care of the people that you love. But if you're not uh, clear as to what that looks like, then it's going to deplete you day in and day out. So mm. you have to be able to figure out what's going to energize me and boost me up and build my battery life. Like what's it going to take for me to to re-energize myself in order for me to be able to tackle these children who are running around like they're chickens with their <laughs> off, like what's it gonna take what does that look like yeah so totally. <laughs> that's my message <laughs> I love it I love it and last but not least what does being an independent mom mean to you being an independent mom means choices I want to be able to make the choices that are best for my family no matter what. And oftentimes, especially when it comes to money, we make the most practical choice out of fear, out of lack, and we don't make the best choice. Mm. And being an independent mom means making the best choices in life. And that's, you know, that's what I'm aiming for in mine. I love that. Thank you so much, Rihanna. This has been super helpful. This has been really great. Where can our audience learn more about you and connect with you? Yeah, so you can find me on all the social medias. I'm Rihanna M. Campbell on Facebook, on IG, on Twitter, you name it. But I'm mostly on Instagram. I spend most of my time on Instagram day in, day out. So if you message me on Instagram, I will probably respond. If you message me on Facebook, probably not. not as consistent but yeah um instagram is probably the best place to 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 touch base with me and have a chat and then remind us again of the name of your book we'll also put that in the show notes my book is called the best kept secret of how property management can boost real estate team profits and obviously it's not just for teams it's for brokers it's for agents it's for anyone who is thinking about whether or not property management makes sense So I go into a lot of detail about that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. It's been so good to see you and talk with you too. And I will make sure to keep all these in the show notes. And definitely if you enjoyed the episode, please make sure to rate and review and check out Rihanna on all socials. So thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today and tuning in to an episode of the Independent Mom Podcast. If this episode resonated with you, please comment, rate, and review the podcast. Your feedback would mean the world to me. And until next time, please know that I appreciate you for lending me your time and your ears, and I will catch you in the next episode.